podcast of the Massachusetts Coastal Coalition. Host myself, Joe Rossi, and co-host and vice chair of the Massachusetts Coastal Coalition, Tim Williams. Welcome to the No Flood Newscast. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Joe Rossi, chairman of the Massachusetts Coastal Coalition. And with me is the co-host of the No Flood Newscast, Tim Williams. Tim, how have you been? Good. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing good. You know, I am just relieved uh, that we're now here at the end of 2019. It was a busy year. Yeah, busy year. You know, um, trying to put some of our thoughts into action and get some of these programs underway um, you know I think first of all you know kind of rounding out our board getting more volunteers on our board and, and people uh, you know helping us out on social media and you know getting in you know our insurance aspect of our own website where we have you know someone full-time answering questions for the yeah. advocates was a huge piece and uh, and then having our you know um, if you want to touch on our advisory council and kind yeah. of the, the national people that we're going to have involved that are overseeing us to give us some some direction and some some thought leadership behind where we can go with yeah our, our that's programs. a great that's a great point Tim you know one of the biggest things we started out actually it was two years ago when we revised our bylaws um, right. and in there um, was clearly stated that we are to uh, have an advisory council of nationally recognized individuals to oversee the uh, mission, the goals, and the progression of different projects within the Costa Coalition. Um, and for up until this past year, there had been no advisory council, and so one of the things we started out in 2019 looking to do is fill out that board. Now, I never thought, and we are so fortunate to have some really big names sit on our advisory council. I mean, these are um, people who not only are nationally recognized, but they literally have uh, the um, vision and ability to change the direction of the National Flood Insurance Program and other pieces. Um, right. And, you know, for example, well, let's, let's talk about the advisory council. And we plan on trying to have at least half of the advisory council members on the podcast at some point in 2020. Right. Um, so the, the council is made up of Kathleen Dufresne, who uh, formerly um, uh, at J.P. Morgan just recently moved over to um, Wells Fargo. As she's in charge of all flood compliance and tax wholesale um, at Wells Fargo. I mean, that's a really, that's a really right. uh, in, important position for us to have because it gives us the insight into lending. Uh, right. when it comes to flood issues. Um, next we have Patty Templeton-Jones, who's the president of Wright National Flood Insurance. So, Which is one of your write your own. Which is one of your write your own, so the, our listeners may actually have a Wright flood insurance policy. Well, right. Patty is president of Wright Flood. Right. So fortunate to have her on the advisory council. Um, also, you know, it's really interesting, Tim, we talk about how the Costa Coalition deals a lot with floodplain management. But nobody on our board of directors is a floodplain manager. 
So we felt that that was a major position to fill out. Right. So we have Hank Haughty, who is the sustainability and resiliency officer for floodplain management in Pinellas County, Florida. Mm -hmm. Now, why that's such an important position or why Pinellas County is so critical is they're ground zero for the west coast of Florida right. and doing some nationally recognized work for floodplain management. So having Hank on board is really, really important for us. Um, Ed Thomas, he is the former president of the Natural Hazard Mitigation Association and also former regional representative for this our region up here in New England on the NFIP. Yep. So great insight on the workings of the National Flood Insurance Program. And Clay Barkley, um, again, a position we didn't have on the board, which is somebody that deals with claims. Um, he is the president of BAC Adjusting, so adjusting and claims adjusting. Right. Um, and Tim, I mean, you know we did outreaches in Quincy after, uh, in Howe's Neck after the mm. Nor'easters a couple of years ago. I mean, think about all the people that we get asking us claims questions. Yeah, and that's just a huge piece of the voice that we're going to need for our advocates that are out there, you know, wanting to know about flood and for us to be able to, to talk to these people directly on a national level and, and either influence or get an understanding of why something's happening is going to be key for us. It's going to be future. critical. Yeah. It's going to be critical. So we will meet with the advisory council via phone three times a year according to the bylaws and we already have several calls um, scheduled with them. So that was one of the big 2019 pieces that we really were so proud to be able to put into place. Yep. Um, Talk a little bit about, about, Tim, about our newest board member. You know, this is the first time in the eight-year history of the Costa Coalition in its various forms that we've had a full board of directors, nine members, yep. each one a specialist in a different area of flood, and Tim Vanderveen is an attorney, a real estate attorney. Talk a little bit about Tim. Yeah, it's great to have Tim on board for from the the perspective of you know having a real estate attorney and a closing and you know what goes on at closings for either people who are selling their properties or buying their properties to bring that perspective. It's great to have Tim on board. You know, rounding out our board for 2019 was great because now we we have the coastal scientists, we have the mitigation specialists or the disaster recovery specialists and you know historians and lenders and you know insurance experts and it's realtors realtors it's, it's a great way to look at you know the perspective of everything that, that we deal with with flood and how it might impact one area or industry yeah. and bring them all together so we're, yeah. we're not forgetting something yeah that's a that's a very good point I mean I think when we started the Costa coalition and uh, its involvement into a statewide and regional and national organization we really wanted to have that representation from different industries. Um, and that's exactly what we've been able to do. And 2019 helped us complete that. Um, and actually, the people listening to this podcast are benefiting from another great thing that we did, which is we expanded greatly our offerings for information. I mean, one of our, our missions says information right in it. Information, Absolutely. education, Absolutely. advocacy. And so we did our newsletter. We started in the end of 2018, but filled a full... 2019 with our quarterly newsletter um, we established the no flood newscast which is what you're listening here today but then more importantly and always evolving is our new membership program we talked about that on our very first podcast yeah and the membership program is a vital piece for anybody who's out there if you're not a member please 
please sign up. You know, it's it's something that it's the one thing where you're going to be able to go to one place to get your information that you need. Um, I can't tell you how many times in in a day or in a week that if you need information to find it, it's one place where it's pretty much aggregated in there. Um, whether you're looking for information on maps, or if you're looking information on elevation certificates, or construction, or you know, just general what's happening in a legislative standpoint, you know, I think our organization has done a great job at, at, at being able to yeah. produce this information that you talk about. Yep. Whether it be from the the quarterly newsletters or the podcasts or our website, so you know, and we're, we're you know. Driving membership is, is the key to it all. That's right. And the more members we have, the bigger our voice is, the more influence we have. Tim, talk to us a little bit, too, about the establishment of our Flood Insurance Service Center. This was, again, a huge piece that we added in 2019, where we now have a dedicated individual to answer your flood insurance questions. Yeah, it was... It and that was always the tricky part, right? Because it was always Joe or I or, or you know a few other people on the board trying to respond and answer questions. And you know we, we really sat down and tried to find someone that was um, an industry expert and that was going to be dedicated to it and be able to talk to that individual and get their the right information out yeah. on a consistent basis. Yep. And and that was the key to this. Is, mm -hmm. You know. Um, you know, I know our advocates are out there getting answers and the answers they get may not always be right or Correct. they're getting different answers and they're out there seeking to find out that information. And that was one of the biggest things that we could produce out of there. That's right. And, and you know, we were very fortunate to bring on Art McKinney as our volunteer underwriter. We mm -hmm. call that's what we call him, our volunteer underwriter, a specialist in flood insurance. And, you know, it's funny because we always talk about ourselves as specialists in flood insurance, which we are. but to operate the board and to operate the coalition and then try to respond to questions just was not working and people weren't getting the attention that they needed. So right. now we have a place on our services tab on the website where you can go and actually ask a question and Art will respond at certain, he's designated certain response hours, Tuesdays and Thursdays, where he will respond to your question. And I think this has been, we've responded already to dozens of questions and we'll continue um, into 2020 and beyond with Art's help. So I think it's great to have that as a central place because for no fault of anybody uh, out there, flood is just complicated and we need a central place to get those answers. Yeah, and it just keeps getting more, comp not more complicated, but there are newer products out there in the private market and, you know, from the NFIP and their governmental changes. It's just important that we have somebody that was dedicated to that. Um, so. Yeah, so Tim, after looking at, and, and there's so many here, and, and I'm looking at the list of things that we did in 2019. I mean, there's things that we're not even going to be able to talk about today. Some of these will require entire No Flood newscasts to talk about. But when you look at everything that we've done this year, uh, and I, I didn't tell you that we were going to speculate on this, but where do you see the Costa Coalition do, you know, going in 2020, and what do you see us doing? What do you want to do in 2020 with the Costa Coalition? Uh, well, there's a couple things I want to get done in, in 2020. Um, personally, um, from a, I'd love to get the NFIP extended on a long-term extension. Sure. Um, I think we all are a little frustrated with uh, Congress's yeah. lack of anything on that side. But locally, I'd like to you know change and, and do some influence locally from a local and statewide perspective in getting some of our uh, 
residents and members help. And I think we can get that, you know, we're, we're headed that direction. It's whether it's be from, you know, a statewide mitigation fund or a low interest loan program or some of our pilot programs that we've started to work on, you know, for grants and, and really start to make an impact in communities, whether we're saving our members money through grants or CRS programs or, you know, that's where I see us going. Yeah. Is really taking that next level of um, being able to to respond for our members and, and get them the you know programs that they should have. Yeah, and I think that's a shared. I think that's a shared mission. I mean, we laid after you look at all of this, the what we did in 2019. We laid the groundwork to be able to start to make true impacts. I mean, you look at what we did in Marshfield with the CRS program, and imagine doing that amongst different communities all across the state. You know, you look at what we're looking right. to do with, like you said, the low interest loan program, which we may actually get the start of that established in 2020 just through advocacy, which, as we'll talk about later, is critical to resiliency and mitigating some of our residents' concerns. And what I think is important, Tim, is this is not because this is what we feel like doing. This is because our membership has asked us to do this. And that right. is, I think, the great value in what we've done in 2019 is we've, we're, we're, we've moved away from this is, what's our, what, this is what we're reacting to because of the environment that we're in, such as legislative environment and, right. and, and flood insurance and all the different pieces. Now <clears throat> we're in a place where we've, over the last two years or so, got started saying, this is what we're being asked to do. This is what our communities are facing. Let's respond. Yeah. Well, this has been, yeah, 2019 has been a great year, and I really look forward to seeing what 2020 brings uh, in the Costa Coalition. It'll be interesting, and we encourage our listeners and our members to stay tuned. I think 2020 is really going to be a year where we continue to prove that there are things you can do to impact costs related to uh, flood issues, and I think we're going to continue to move in 2020. So, Tim, uh, you know, one of the things that we've really been trying to do over the last, uh, well, I'd say the entire uh, time we've been a part of the Costa Coalition is helping the average person, right? The average right. homeowner, the average stakeholder, um, helping them navigate and understand uh, flood issues, concerns, whether that be insurance, whether that be filing claims, whatever that might be. Well, I can tell you from firsthand experience that somebody that is excelling at this and even going beyond what we've been doing at the national level is uh, our guest today, um, Harriet Festing of Higher Ground. Um, and we're going to be talking to her today about her group, Higher Ground, and what she's been doing on the national level when it comes to advocacy, information, and education. And Harriet's with us today. So, Harriet, welcome. Hi. Thank you so much. And, and thank you, Joe, for being such a fantastic partner 
in our program. We really appreciated your help and your expertise. Yeah, no, Harriet, thank you very much for uh, for saying that and, and being on the program with us because one of the things that we're really trying to, to do uh, with our uh, no Flood newscast is make sure that whether it be locally or nationally, um, other stakeholders are aware of different things going on in the world of flood, whether that be advocacy information right. and other things. So um, one of the things that we really wanted to uh, make sure that got out there, first of all, is what higher ground is and what your major mission is, because there may be people that have not heard about higher ground that may benefit very much from what you do. So tell us a little bit about what higher ground is. Yes, yes, yes. I, I think there are many people out there who would benefit from what we do. So we set up around two years ago, um, there's an overarching non-profit called Anthropocene Alliance and Higher Ground is an initiative of Anthropocene Alliance. And we are the, now the largest flood survivor network in the country. So we're currently wow. working with 45 flood survivor advocacy groups in 22 U.S. states, and the sort of the typical person uh, might be. Um, funny enough, they all, they largely tend to be women, um, and either their home has flooded or their neighbor's home has flooded, and they just go, "I've had enough. We've got to do something about this." So they get together with their neighbors, start attending city hall meetings, maybe set up a Facebook group. And that's the point where we connect with them. And we really help them get organized and help amplify their voices. And I could tell you a little bit more about that if that's of interest. Yeah, so how did that really form? I mean, was it you were a victim of, of flood? The higher ground actually came out of work that I was doing in Chicago. Okay. Um, and I was doing stuff on, on green infrastructure, nation-based solutions to flooding. Um, and there was a federally declared disaster, April 2013, and I had been in the paper, and I suddenly got a phone call from this woman called Helen Lekovich, who is a hairstylist um, in uh, Midlothian, Illinois, and her, her business had kept flooding repetitively. Okay. Um, and with severe consequences for her, she could no longer run her business. And so she spoke on the phone and said, we need help. Um, and she had got together with five neighbors, so they called themselves Floodlothian Five. Uh, eventually they came around and Floodlothian 100, you know, a, a huge group. And it was just extraordinary working with her because she was so um, effective. So she not only got in major, you know, eight point something million dollar flood control projects as a result of her wow. work, uh, she got green infrastructure installed. She physically dug green infrastructure with her neighbors, but also they got parking lots um, with permeable paving. Uh, they've got a new creek trail. They've got, you know, a huge amount of, frankly, transformation of this village as a result of her work with her neighbors. They had had an unsupportive mayor, and the poor mayor, you know, didn't stand a chance against Helen and actually got voted <laughs> out on a massive landslide oh, wow. against yeah. the mayor and four trustees. So she got in a supportive mayor. Then we worked with Helen to help introduce state legislation around urban flooding because most of these people were not in the floodplain, and so we were starting to understand the impact of urban flooding. Sure. And then we worked with her to introduce federal legislation. And I just thought, wow, this woman is so extraordinary. What if we could find many more Helens across the country? And that's really exactly what we started to do with Higher huh. Ground. Wow, that's really interesting. So on that note, you know, earlier when, when you were, when Tim mentioned how did Higher Ground start, you know, I also, uh, how, how do 
um, the different associated groups that you work with? How, how do you find them or how have they found you? And then what uh, impacts have they had by finding you and then your help with them in their local communities? Right, right, right. So it's mostly, um, actually it's mostly Facebook-based. Um, I started just by putting in on Facebook, you know, uh, under the search element, just putting in flooding, and a whole load of groups came up. Many Facebook groups have no actual leader, so I need to find somewhere. It's the leaders that are so critical to us. Um, and what we do is we, we do three things. So we help them understand the range of tactics that they can use in order to build influence and get solutions. Um, so some of them, for example, um, are in need to be, they need their homes bought out. They're living in unsafe areas. So we're helping them run buyout programs. Uh, some of them really need their, their neighbors to be better educated. So we help do run educational events. Some are supporting certain politicians, some are involved in planning appeals, uh, lawsuits, mm -hmm. so, uh, introducing legislation. So we really kind of help talk through those options. And then the second thing we do is then connect them to pro bono resources so that they can move forward on those options. And so, I mean, it's been an incredible partnership uh, with an organization called the Thriving Earth Exchange of the American Geophysical Union. And they will match pro bono scientists to community leaders. So around, I think it was 20 of our groups have now been matched up with pro bono scientists, largely hydrologists, hydrologists, sure. who help them understand how the floodings occurring and the kinds of solutions they should be advocating for. But we also match them up with attorneys when we can get them. I've been on the phone many times to Joe with, with groups that need insurance help. Uh, planners uh, through the elevator studio. So there's a range of, mm -hmm. of, of connectivity. And the third thing we do is amplify their voices. So all 45 leaders, we just set up a leadership council with uh, seven of the leaders are represented on that. And then all 45 leaders come together with monthly Zoom calls. And then we connect them up to the media, connect them up to policy makers and really try and strengthen their voices. Interesting. So on that note, what are some of the biggest projects or biggest successes uh, that you've seen uh, with Higher Ground and in, in the associated uh, groups with Higher Ground? Yeah, actually, we're, we're getting quite a lot of nice successes, which is <laughs> great news. Um, a group that I connected up very quickly with is a group called the Citizens Committee for Flood Relief in DeSoto, Missouri. Uh, they have been impacted by really severe flash flooding, uh, 400 homes impacted um, mm. by Yocking Creek, um, and three people have died as a result oh, of the wow. flooding. So extremely serious um, and dangerous. And they had a mayor who just really didn't know how to respond. So decided the best way to respond was to just ignore it and pretend it wasn't happening. And so they were really feeling, you know, not knowing what to do. Susan Liley, who's the, who's the leader of the group, the co-founder, um, her home doesn't flood it herself, but many of her friends were so badly affected. And this in many cases, it's the people on the lower ground, in the floodplain, in the floodway, who were lower income, most sure. vulnerable, who were yeah. worst affected. So we did two things. First, we managed to connect them with the Army Corps of Engineers Silver Jackets program. So they got, the city then got free technical assistance. And that sort of not only gave them 
a watershed plan and implementation plan for the first time, but it gave them sort of authority and credibility. And the Citizens Committee for Flood Belief actually sat on the steering committee for that. Um, but the second thing we did then was connect them up with a pro bono team of scientists from the Thriving Earth Exchange. And those scientists worked as independent advisors to the, to the citizens. Uh, so that was very powerful. Um, now the plan has been published um, and they are moving forward. I think they've already adopted uh, stronger ordinances. They're already moving forward on a buyout program and they're looking at green infrastructure. Um, so it's been very successful. Wow. Wow, Another example, incredible. maybe just quickly, to just give a, a sense of the variety, sure. um, is a group in Gulfport, Mississippi. Um, we connected up with them at the point. So this is... The, the woman, Catherine Egland, who, who leads this group called ECHO, um, is working on behalf of two very important African-American communities. They have great historical significance, and they're kind of in a goldfish bowl with flooding coming around and, 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 and you know, going into them. Um, and it's getting worse because the wetlands that surround them are being encroached upon by first an airport, then a shopping mall, mm. then a highway. Great. And we just met her at the point where another new development had been permitted by the Port Authority. And we were able very quickly to get in an attorney, get in scientific experts and put a halt on that development and there'll mm. be a public hearing in the spring. Wow. That's incredible, and you're right, Harry, that really gives the breadth of what you're doing from going all the way from you know flash flooding in inland to a development in a coastal or a retention area on the coast. So it's really interesting. And, and I guess you know one of the things that I would I would want our listeners to know is what is the common thread? that you see across all the flood victims that you've come across, or or what are some of the common threads that you've seen? So the first thing is the incredible stress and pressure and mental health problems and sense of loneliness and isolation that is caused by flooding. Um, around the third of the group leaders that we work with have actually had to evacuate their home Many of them have never been able to go back, mm -hmm. even those who have managed to get back. I mean, I'm sure you've heard about this yourselves, that people, every time it rains, it brings on stress. Um, people, and, and, and I think the worst is that so many feel that they have flooded, they're in horrific circumstances, they're scared of their future, they see no one out there helping them, and they see development occurring around them that will make flooding words mm -hmm. um, so it, it, it's pretty disturbing and I think that's one of the really powerful things about higher ground is that we're connecting flood survivors together who are providing each other a sense of, of support and hope uh, and reassurance um, mm. I think that's the that's the main thing the, the other issue is one that I, I brought up this sort of common theme around development that is occurring and the mm. power and authority that developers have working with politicians. So for example, we're working with a community in Hurry County. Um, they are trying, have been trying to adopt a 2040 plan, which creates a sort of vision and planning, uh, a planning framework for the county. 
Um, and the developers have got together and funded what they're calling the Institute for Principal Development at the Coastal Carolina University, which is essentially their attempt to stop the, uh, the adoption of this plan. So they're, against, they're going against a lot of money and interests, and it's, it's okay. a tough fight for them. Mm. And, and maybe the third thing I would say is the incredible expertise of the, of the people we, we work with. You know, they are often the scientists. They mm. are the, right. the data gatherers, the experts. Um, and while we do bring in the scientific experts, uh, often it's to sort of reinforce and support them and, and uh, offer them credibility and authority. Yeah, I, I think one thing I wanted to bring up too, and it's, um, you know, I think up in here in Massachusetts, there's a kind of a, a belief that, you know, certainly the coast is getting flooded, but I'm curious how many of those survivors had this kind of attitude or they're the first time people that flooded out that never really expected to be in the situation they're in. You know, if you have a lot of those types of survivors that, you know, because there are certainly a lot of people here like, we're never going to flood. You know, we, we get the coastal flooding, but we don't have that severe storm that brings it inland for that one mile, two mile area that you're seeing those types of survivors. And it's just a message I think some of our listeners need to get, you know, across yeah. and, and understand <laughs> That's that a very good point, it, it could happen, yeah. you know. So I just wonder if you could touch right, on that a little right, bit. Right, right, right. Yes, there's a... And I, I haven't done any analysis on this. Sure. One thing that comes up very frequently is we aren't in a flood zone. This yeah. wasn't supposed yeah. to happen to yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I often get pushback on, on social media from people who kind of say, well, if you're so stupid to live in the coast, what do you expect? But large numbers of the people we work with are not didn't see themselves sure. as living in high-risk areas. And many of them are inland, like in, in Illinois. Right. Uh, and and you, suddenly they start flooding, and that's a combination of development and climate change and lack of infrastructure investment. Right. So, you know, I, I feel quite protective. Is quite often thought that, you know, stupid people, and they're not, you know, they're fighting this development. They've been made homeless. Uh, and they're dealing with the consequences of a lot of very bad government decisions. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. So on that note, where you are continuing to get members uh, in new groups to join uh, Higher Ground, where do you see Higher Ground headed in the next two, three, five years or so? So we need more members, you know, uh, we need a critical mass. We've started to get a critical mass, say, in South Carolina, we're working with seven groups. And you can really sense the difference when you've got seven groups at state level starting to, you know, to, to influence the media. They're very good at getting media coverage um, and starting to influence how decisions are made. Um, so we need a, a, a critical mass in the other states. So I'd like to, you know, double, treble our size. They need more resources. They need funding. They need to be able to advertise, um, you know, promote what they're doing, uh, actually shift policies. Hmm. Um, so it's really, for me, it's about getting critical mass so that we can actually change the policy landscape. Hmm. And so, and so the, th the sort of main things we're working on right now are action on climate change and trying to get cities and states and federal government to actually say there is a climate emergency and we need to do something about this. Um, we're looking at issues around managed retreat. Um, one of the things that we discovered is that 
particularly low-income residents, often don't get access to buyout programs because their city or county fails to apply on their behalf. Sure. And so we now actually we have two pilot programs where we're organising the residents who want buyouts to come together to advocate together. Uh, and that, that looks as though that's going to be quite successful and mm. suddenly get them that access to, to federal funding. Um, and then the third area is really to try and do something around development in the floodplain. One of the, the things that we're particularly interested in this is fill and build, where you bring in dirt fill, uh, you know, clear cut wetlands, forests, bring in dirt fill, elevate the land up, put homes on that. That seems like a particularly destructive way of building on the floodplains. And so we're looking at, um, at whether or not city level we can start to introduce ordinances that might ban that. Yeah, and it's interesting because in, in New England, a lot of our states are so built out, we don't see that type of development. But that does happen fairly often in many other places where development is continuing to expand, I'll say laterally versus vertically. Yeah. And you mentioned right, 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 right. So many of the states, it's a big issue in many of the states, you know, so mm. Texas, Louisiana, yeah. South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, Florida, uh, many, many of the states where our members are. Tim, you're going to say something? Yeah, we just, I mean, you mentioned the federal level. Is there, you know, we're trying to work up on the state level, I guess, for managed retreat and buyouts because of the response. We just see the federal is. You know, even their grant programs take a while for people to get reimbursed. You know, we're, so we're looking at, you know, are there low interest loan programs that states can kind of jump onto and get some of this solved on a more local level than a federal level? You know, because I mean, I think it's going to be a multi pronged approach, you know, and your group's going to be critical to that in getting the mass out there and getting the voice. That's right. Because if, because if the, if, yeah, because if the average person, that's who it's going to help the most. And if, and if that type of, uh, if the flooding victims or the f people that feel, you know, Harry, it's really interesting because what's I think happening now is, and, and we've seen it more often in the last, I'd say, two years or so, are people are being proactive and saying to us, we now sense a risk and we don't know, you know, it's only a matter of time. I've heard it from a couple people, especially after the Nor'easters we had here about a year and a half ago. So it's really interesting that we're starting to hear more and more of, you know, I sense that or I can tell that there's going to be a problem. I just had a call today from somebody saying, I never thought about purchasing flood insurance, but I feel like because things are changing, I want to finally do something about it. Do you get that sense that you're starting to see some of that as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd like to say it's all because of us, but I guess, <laughs> sure. I guess that might not be entirely the case. Um, but certainly, so so most of my group, the groups I work with, our, our members or chapters um, have Facebook groups, and many of them have thousands of members, and they mostly host public events. Mm -hmm. And and so, whereas perhaps before. You know, you would get a, a, a major storm, a major flooding, there'd be a lot of media coverage and it would die down. I think what we're helping to do is keep that conversation going yeah. and keep people realizing that that risk continues. Mm -hmm. exactly. So, yeah, I think I think things are changing. Yeah, I, I just wish that governments would be, you know, more responsible in their development, recognizing that, that they're putting people at risk. Sure. So how can our listeners get involved with your group? I mean, should they go onto Facebook or how can they find you? 
Yes, yes. So we have a Facebook group called Higher Ground okay. and anyone can join that. And that's best for individuals who've got a query, need help. There are literally thousands of other blood survivors on that group where they can okay. ask questions. If they are interested in getting a help in their community to, uh, to reduce the risk of future flooding and are interested in bringing together some neighbors, because we largely focus on groups, um, then, then they can contact me directly. We actually have all the information on our website. Um, they can contact me and then I'll set up a phone call with them to talk through how we might work with them. And the way we work with all our members it, it really depends on their needs. So it's very, very focused on their needs and, and the kind of help that they need most. Yeah, and actually, I don't know if Harriet knows this yet, but we're putting a link to their website on our homepage. So yeah. you'll be able to very quickly get to uh, higher ground and contact Harriet. So our group, you can come to our group or you can go to Harriet's go to Harriet, group. Or either or way, we'll, you'll, we'll get, get you'll get yeah. there. Um, Harriet, now we're, you know, surprisingly, it feels like we just started the conversation. We're just about out of time here. Um, and before, before we end, though, um, I want to make sure that you can communicate to the people listening, um, what is the primary message you want somebody who's just been flooded to know? It's somebody who's just been flooded who really understands the risks, the impacts. They are the most powerful voice. So we're not just seeking to help those people who are flooded. We're seeking to help those people who are at risk of flooding. And the most powerful voice uh, in that narrative is someone who has flooded themselves. So that's why we've really targeted our, our, you know, our message and our thoughts on flood survivors. They can sure. talk about what it feels like uh, and explain about those risks to people. As you said, you know, people are starting to recognize those risks. And I think that's through storytelling. Sure. Um, Great. Awesome. Well, Harriet, we have, uh, this has been awesome, and we really appreciate you spreading this message. I think, as we've mentioned all through today's conversation, the more that we have these discussions and bring awareness to both those that have flooded already, but those who could potentially flood. And as Tim and I talk about all the time, everybody's in a flood zone, just depends on the severity of that zone. So there's a risk for everybody. And I think that's the message we all collectively share to try to get the message across that, hey, you know, if we want to continue to prevent these uh, unfortunate disasters to happen, we need to, as you've mentioned, Harriet, speak as uh, one collective voice to try to make that change. Um, so we've, yeah, so we really have appreciated you being here today. And uh, uh, Tim, I think we uh, really have some synergies here with Higher Ground. And yeah. we'll continue to keep in touch with Harriet and bring her back on the podcast at some point in the future to get updates on how the group is doing. So Harriet, thank you so much. Thank you, Harriet. Thank you so much, and thank you for your own fantastic, really inspiring work. Thank you, thank you very much.